0: Welcome back to another episode of Pursuit of Purpose. I want to tell you, everybody, thank you for joining us again. I'm Robbie, and this is Chuck Olaf. and we have with us today a very special guest, someone that's very near and dear to my heart. She's one of the most precious people in the world, if not the most important important person in the world to me. It's my wife, Denise Martin. Thank you for joining us today, and if you wouldn't mind, kind of give your own introduction and just tell us a little bit about yourself.
1: Thank you for having me. I am a mom, a wife, a grandparent (laughs) recently, a teacher, and I'm also a survivor.
0: You are a survivor. You are a survivor. Now, that's actually one of the things that we have you here to talk about, but even more so than that, I see you as a, a very empowered woman who has mastered the art of reinvention of yourself. And I brought you here as an example of true female empowerment. So I didn't prepare you for that ahead of time, but that's <laughs> your purpose for being here today. And I, I thank you for that. So if you wouldn't mind, give a little backstory about Denise Martin. Where did you come from and where you? how did you get here? Well,
1: that's a long story. <laughs> We've got lots of time. <laughs> um, I came from not... The best circumstances not the best childhood but I always say that what what they were kind of shaped me into what I am now
0: How was your childhood can you go into a little bit of detail you don't have to go into it, it, you know too many specifics if it's uncomfortable but a little bit just to give you a little bit of foundation so people understand what you mean by a rough childhood there's a lot of people out there with a rough childhood mm-hmm. and you know you personally probably haven't experienced some of this stuff there can be a a bit of shame associated with that and you don't possess shame about your childhood. I know from personal experience. So if you wouldn't mind kind of share that background.
1: Um, It was just, I was an only child and I was the child of two addicts and I kind of got lost in the shuffle a lot. And I feel like I raised myself in a lot of ways, but like I said before, it, kind of shaped who I am. So I don't have any, like I've dealt with my childhood trauma and all those kind of things, So I don't have, it it doesn't define me anymore. It doesn't tell me who I am anymore. It just is a part of my life now.
0: That's amazing. That's amazing. So did you, when you say you were the child of of addicts, did you know they were addicts when you were children, when you were a child? I mean,
1: no, I mean, I, I didn't know what that was. I just knew, I saw what they did, and um, for a long time, I thought that's just how people were, Sure. and then as I got older, and I was around different types of people, and mm-hmm. at different friends' house and stuff, I saw that maybe my home life wasn't exactly normal. <laughs> at a minimum, it was yeah. different,
0: huh? Yes. When you say you saw what they did, what do you mean
1: by Well, that? I mean, just, they, like, I saw drugs, and drinking, and just things I know now that a child should never see or experience because I didn't understand it. I just, like I said, I thought it was just how people live, right. and I realized as I grew up that it was
2: not a normal childhood at all. Right.
3: That that's a very common thing as a therapist. People come in and uh, we don't get away from our origin, our home, if you will, too often, uh, and that's usually pretty guided. And it's not until we start going into other people's homes, yes. like we go home after some sport practice, or we go spend the night with someone, and we're and then that's when people typ- typically tell me, like, I didn't know other people lived like that. Right. Then, then I then I go home, and then it starts like it's a, I, I call it the storm effect.
2: Mm-hmm.
3: If you if we think about like say this time of year, definitely in the spring, you have the uh, the warm air that's been or the cold air I should say that's been. On top of us and now all of a sudden this warm air is coming in and that's where the storm is and that's usually when people start making changes in their life but it's so slow and slight and then that change is compared to and it's not uncommon especially for a child growing up with people who had substance abuse and other things is uh, developing kind of a care for others Because you see them in such careless situations. Uh, And I presume that that may have been something in your world, because I hear it a lot in the other counseling folks.
1: And I know something for me when I was younger is I would stay with my grandmother in the summers. And that's when I really got, I started realizing that my life at home was so different from my life at my grandma's house. And that's really when I started noticing that I was really, I didn't know that it was dysfunctional at the time, but looking back now, it was very dysfunctional. Right.
3: So uh, kind of moving forward a little bit uh, when you were in you were becoming aware now you're you're going to I presume you're in a public school mm-hmm. so you're in a, a an opportunity a situation where there's opportunity um did do you find yourself being more of a joiner and in getting into things or were you were you maybe because of that particular home life I found that I, I protected it and didn't which way did you kind of go
1: mm-hmm. I was probably a joiner. Like, I I was lucky in that school was easy for me. And so I, even if I didn't try hard, I still make, made good grades. So that was a blessing that I had. And I also didn't care. Like, my friends would make fun of me because I would get straight A's without trying. And I just didn't care. I'm like, it's just, you know, I enjoyed school. I loved being there. And I think I found it as an escape from
2: mm-hmm.
1: home life and so i kind of immersed myself in it like i was in ffa and i did like um parliamentary procedure in ffa and it's so funny because i would never see myself doing that but it's like i found my way in high school doing that and learned how to become a leader and like just immersed myself in that little bubble and i loved it
3: that that's really interesting uh, I think all of us look for competition somewhere and it could be in a class like I want to you know do it was good. a
1: competition that we go to
3: <laughs> absolutely yeah. Yeah, and it, <laughs> like I said it could be I want to I'm gonna do well on this test but to actually become a leader of a the parliamentary which is a debate type thing right and uh, that's impressive and so there was a fire inside of there and yes. interestingly enough we talked a lot about um, about being attracted to opportunities mm-hmm. and something inside of you was attracted to that. As, yes, as I was a,
1: definitely attracted as to a way to grow.
3: Yes. Yeah. Well, uh, that's, 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 a, that's really impressive. Now, after you share with our audience, knowing a little bit more about what you had to go back to and process. Mm-hmm. So having these juxtaposed worlds, um, uh, probably like you implied earlier and, and Rob even in, in, in his introduction, uh, promoted the overcoming I became yes. an overcomer
1: I didn't know
2: it but yes yeah,
1: something inside of me right had that and right. that life in high school that immersing myself in that allowed me to yeah. have a different world
2: I guess
3: yeah. quite the, quite the, the, the divine guidance
2: right
0: now amazingly enough in your experience and you'll have to forgive me a little bit because I have so much personal knowledge of a lot of your life so some of these questions may take you a little a little off, but if you would, I also know that you went through some other experiences in your childhood that a lot of other people, and especially women, can relate to. Uh, you experienced uh, some abuse, right. and that impacted you in certain ways. Would you would you mind talking about that? You don't have to go into great detail about what happened, where, when, who, but how it affected you, what, what changed in you and, and from you through that.
1: Yeah. Um, when I was younger, I did, I I probably was neglected a little bit. I didn't really suffer any kind of physical abuse. Um, I did suffer sexual abuse and, um, at the time I didn't really understand it and I really just was shameful about it and I thought that it was my fault, but I was also, I feel like I was not supervised very well. And so I was put in situations where I was left alone with people I probably shouldn't have been left alone with. And so that was something I experienced in my childhood.
0: So how did that, how did you get past the shame? How did you get, what, what, what were the steps for you? Can you remember any of that?
1: Well, it took me a lot of years because I, at first I just kind of stuffed it and didn't deal with it and never talked about it. And I thought I didn't realize that it happened to so many people. And so I just kind of pretended like it didn't happen for so many years. And that was very toxic. Like, it made me make decisions that I don't think were the best decisions when I was a teenager. Like, you know, I thought that what I thought was love or attention, I I think, was shaped by being abused as a child. Like, I looked at attention the wrong kind of ways. if that makes sense. That makes total sense. And I
0: think that's going to help a lot of listeners when they hear you say it. I didn't know it at the time. That's
1: what I was doing. Right. Like I had no idea until probably I got close to my thirties that mm-hmm. that's what was going on. Right. Like something in my childhood that was, was affecting mm-hmm. how I was in relationships as a teenager and. An adult. Sure. So
3: we had these experiences that were promoting uh, those types of decisions. We'll call them when you're less mature. Years, you know? <laughs>
2: right.
3: Yeah, because there, because at some point it, the maturity did catch up with itself and you were obviously able to perceive things better and respond to things better. Uh, Was there any uh, language of, say, like self-taught or self-challenge? People may even say, use words like self-forgiveness or to to say, you know, I'm going to release myself that because I'm not that person anymore. And I I ask that. I hope that's not too complicated because I know there's Mm -hmm. folks listening that are like, yeah, I was that or may still be that because we we do have young people who listen and they're still in that they want to come out of it but maybe they don't quite know how and first they don't know how to see themselves then how to see the opportunity maybe you can speak to that
1: well it's hard to say i I can say i started maturing i had a child when i was 21 and um she had a really bad birth injury and she had cerebral palsy and so I, i learned to mature faster than i thought possible because i did have a child that was special needs and she needed extra help But I don't think I developed the language until I was in my master's program. And not because I was in a master's program, but because I started talking about it. They want you to talk about it. So you start talking about it and they start asking you, well, how do you think you survived this? How do you think you overcame this? How do?" I mean, they're asking you all these questions and you try to like kind of push it away and like, I don't know. I don't know. And they don't accept, I don't know. It's right. like, no, right. how did you get here? Right. So that's when I started developing the language of, you know, the self-forgiveness, like you said, or those things were not my fault. I was a child. You know, I was a child less than 10 years old. I was, I didn't have the mental capacity to make those decisions or for it to be my fault, the things that happened to me. Right. And so I started seeing it in a different way, like as being a survivor instead of a victim.
3: That happens often in therapy when folks come in and we have to kind of set the scene a little bit. I even have to, sometimes I'll even mess with the shades and the lighting just so they can go back. And I might even use like a pillow and I'll say, okay, we're going to let that be your six or eight or 10 year old self. Talk to them. Right. It's almost like the, the courses you were in kind of forced me to go back and talk to her right? and say, Hey, it's not, it wasn't your fault.
1: And, and it's, and I'm not, you don't need the courses. You don't need to be in a master's program to do it. It's just, I was right. kind of forced to do it there, right. but you would be amazed at how much just talking about it and, And hearing someone else tell you that's not your fault
3: or, you know what I mean? Like just
1: hearing someone else's perspective on it and you realize how skewed your thoughts were about it.
3: Like a permission. Yes. That's amazing. So, uh, so you, you uh, had your daughter at 21 Mm -hmm. with her, her needs Mm -hmm. and you say it kind of, it's almost like it, it, I don't want to say woke up. Uh, some things inside of you, but definitely things came out quickly, like right. these maturities. It's came like out quickly. I matured
2: really fast. I yes. went
3: from
1: being not so mature, you know, at 19 and 20 to immediately as soon as my daughter was born. Yeah. You know, I'd never driven downtown in Houston before she was born. And then when she was born, I had to learn to do that. I had to just things that I'd never done.
2: Yes. That
1: immediately I had to become more mature. And right.
3: Yeah, you know, we, we, I know in life we, we try to, at least in, definitely in our particular business in Pursuit of Purpose, we push people toward going after their wants because that's when they're on all, all their energy and all that. Right. But it doesn't take us away from, there are some have-tos. You said yes. I had to. Yes. There was no other way it was going to get done. Mm-hmm. And that is impressive. And I know that folks listening are very impressed to say, I get that, ma'am. But that <laughs> was the have-tos and, and, and uh, must-be-done. Right. There was no other way to get it done. But it, looking back, I guess, I mean, we could say with evidence, yes, I, I did it. Did you believe in yourself or did you just push through And as, as our friend? Probably not
1: in the beginning. Yes. Probably not in the beginning. It was more survival mm. and um, just surviving, just doing what I needed to do to survive and looking at it one day at a time because if I didn't, it would be too overwhelming. Yeah. Like, I couldn't think about the what ifs or what's going to happen or just day by day what I need to do. And it just kept building and building. And before right. I knew, I was doing it like a pro. Yes, you know,
3: like, yeah, I mastered it. Yeah, exactly. Yes. And I don't even
1: know how I got there, but just one day uh, at a time.
3: We have a, a recent guest on one of our shows, uh, Chris Alexis. And he, uh, somewhere toward the end of his show, uh, his particular interview, he talked about uh, the herd of buffalo running into the storm. And yes. the, the quickest way to get through it to better places is just to run toward it, not run from it. And I think you just gave us an example of that. I hope you guys are listening. And please check out Chris's interview because that's an excellent description of how, how, to, how to make it happen. Well, one thing that she did, just to put it into perspective, she was in a,
0: a crucial developmental stage of her life. She says pre, pre-10 years old when this abuse occurred. She carried that with her through her adolescence, teen years, through high school, into college, into her first relationship, and into her college, you know, studies, and then having the birth of your first child being a special needs birth and requiring so much of you, there there came a time where there was a, a need to unloose part of that burden. Because you were you were needing to carry a different burden, right? And you wanted to carry a different burden, so there became this this inner desire. It's what it sounds like to me. If I mean, maybe I'm wrong, but it seems like maybe there was this new desire to to replace that old pain. Right.
1: There was no room for it anymore. There. Yes. There was no room for it anymore. I, I had to move on to. I wanted to try to make sure that Taylor could be you know, every, you know, had every opportunity there was, and there was no time for that anymore. There was just like running into the storm, like you said. <laughs> we're going. <laughs>
3: it is, we're going. It, it's, uh, I, I don't know, the word that comes to mind is kind of a prioritizing effect. Right. Like maybe up until till the birth of Taylor, uh, uh, my priorities just by default was the only thing I knew, which right. was this life up until this point, and then all of a sudden, there became this kind of a uh, like a like a shift like a paradigm shift in your life like so, okay well that that really no longer has immediate significance like
1: a, I don't know what my priority was before her it was just kind of like wandering around in life I mean I was in college mm. but I wasn't I wasn't doing well in college right. like at least not to my standards and then she came and it's like all that just changed right so,
0: well what is it does it sound possible and help me understand. But is it possible that up until Taylor, you were living a life, basically of reaction. You were sort of going through life, reacting to your environment and to the people in it. And then when Taylor came along, you realized that you had to become a person of creation.
2: It was
1: almost like I didn't have, I felt like I didn't have control before Taylor. I was just kind of, it was the effect of everyone else. Like, it's like, the victim mentality. It's like what was happening to me. All of it. What was happening to me. And then when Taylor came, it was you couldn't sit back and say anything about what was happening to her. or What was happening to me. That didn't help. It was like, what are we going to do now?
0: So she, her birth, brought empowerment into your life. Right. It, it.
1: I mean, I couldn't control what happened to her, and I was terribly sad, and it was a loss that I had to grieve. Having a typical child, as they say. But I knew that just sitting back and grieving the loss wasn't going to help her. Yes. How do we get her better? How do we help her yes. be everything that she could be?
0: Right. So to bring everybody up to speed, in your story right now, you're 21 years old. You're still in college. And you've had your first child, who is not what people would call a typical child. She's special needs. She has CP. An seizure
2: disorder.
0: a seizure disorder. And a seizure disorder. So here you are at 21. You've already lived as much or more life than most people probably do by the time they die. And here you are on the cusp of the beginning.
1: (laughs) I didn't know it. So
0: there you are standing on the the edge of forever. You know, what's to come? So were you married at this point? Yes. So how was your... How is all that? How is the dynamic there? And you, you have this special needs child. You're in a relationship and you're still going to school. Can you explain that balance a little bit?
1: Um, it was a lot. I was also working. So I was working, going to school, um, married a mom, a new mom, a young mom of a special needs child that required therapy. and
0: How did she get to all her therapy and everything? you got um, so much going on.
1: It was a mix. I mean, in the beginning, both of us, her father and I took her whenever we could take her. Um, It it was a lot of going (laughs) for me and for him and for her. (laughs) But um, we shared a lot of responsibilities in the beginning. And then I realized I was married to an addict.
0: Mm. And you didn't, how long had y'all been together before the realization of that
1: occurred? I don't really remember when I realized that he was an addict. I just, we had been together for about three years before Taylor was born, maybe. Yeah, about three years. And um, I just thought that it was typical young adult behavior, I guess, mm-hmm. And I guess I realized after being married and having a child, it was continuing. So then I realized that it wasn't just typical young adult behavior. Yeah. I kind of tried to normalize it, I guess.
0: Do you think that that in you, the, the normalizing of that behavior probably maybe comes from watching that in your mother? And watching that in your childhood around you. That
2: absolutely. That, yes. Okay.
1: Absolutely. And I normalized it because what else do you do with it? That's exactly you either right. normalize it or you obsess about it. Mm-hmm. And so my go to from childhood was just to normalize it. Right. Right. Because I had other things to focus on. Absolutely. I wanted to focus on tailored.
0: You had an exceptionally full life, full in every direction, full of turmoil, full of blessings and that had to be a difficult balance. It sounds to me like if you had to put it out on a scale, like problems and benefits, you were right in the middle and the whole thing balanced on top of you, like a seesaw.
2: Sometimes I felt yeah. like that.
3: Yeah. It's a heavy burden to carry. It was heavy. Well, I'm proud of you for it. You. That's an interesting analogy is, uh, and I think it speaks to the character of people in situations like yours you will find that there will be one person that will typically be the fulcrum, and then and life will balance on them. So as your motivation went, as your mood went, as your collective understanding, talking to the doctors, getting more data, uh, building uh, a plan and what have you, uh, it sounds as though that mostly all fell to you. I mean, maybe there was a small community that would contribute some, mm-hmm. but then you really, then you began to realize the limits of their contributions. Right. And so uh, then you had, a you had a choice. You had a, you had a choice moment like, okay, I'm either going to take all this on or, and kind of operate as if
1: I really can't rely on them, you know, or I'm just going to quit. I do remember times feeling like that. And I remember telling myself that you don't, you don't, have the right to check out you don't have the right to you don't get that luxury not that it was really a luxury but that's what i would tell to the people in my life i don't get the luxury of. how often did they
0: like did they proposition you to join
1: myself silly and taking pills i don't get that option because i have to be here for my daughter yes it's not an option for me and i never understood why it was an option for them like why do you get to drink 20 beers on a saturday
2: yeah
1: because I stopped to be a grown-up. Right. <laughs> not that I wanted to drink 20 beers on a no. Saturday, but you know what I mean. Well, yeah, there was,
3: yeah, there was no, there was no uh, option mm-hmm. to exercise on your part.
1: And it's and not that I'm not saying that I wanted to or I was bitter about it or anything. It's just mm-hmm. something inside me knew that if I didn't do it, who was right. going to do it? Right. And I'm not saying I never got help either. I did get help. Yeah. But I knew in the end that I could depend on very few people in right. myself.
3: Yes. So now that this growing self-reliance is coming online and really starting to mature and develop you're still in school so you're moving and, and typically people are in those types of things because it, if they can't verbalize it they know somewhere out there is going to be I'm, de- I'm 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 contributing to a better opportunity school right. is going to be that for me whether you could perfectly see what that was so if you want if you will kind of move that timeline forward so now you're still in school. You had this uh, this uh, steady participation of Taylor's Care, mm-hmm. and so where eventually did that lead to? Give us give us some some uh, milestone moments. Maybe it's graduation or what have you. Right.
1: Well, eventually the school, like I said in the beginning, I, I didn't take it as serious, and I, looking back now, I'm kind of disappointed with how I was, but as after Taylor came and I was going to school, I started to realize this is my money. This is my time. It's my time away from my child. If I'm going to do this, I'm going to do it right. And so then I became invested in it mm-hmm. and it wasn't an option to, you know, get a D or a C or mm-hmm. even a B most sometimes for me, right. unless it was math. But <laughs> and if it
3: didn't get mentioned, what was your undergraduate
1: study? Uh, in psychology. Okay. All and, right. um, and then my, I had a minor in English. And I the more I had to do for my daughter, the more I took everything else around me seriously. And so I eventually graduated. It took longer, but I, I think it was in around, I don't know, 2002, I think I eventually got my degree. And I had another child by then, mm-hmm. and um, I decided to get my master's degree.
3: Okay. And what is your master's degree
1: in marriage and family therapy okay All
3: right. so here you sit a master's prepared professional and <laughs> teaching yes yes, yes. Yeah. Uh, do you would you say that having had uh, a lot of that academic preparedness along with some of the life opportunities is uh, is had well I'll ask it in the form of an open-ended question do you see that having an effect as an educator as a teacher of youngs? Mm, yeah I think
1: so definitely okay. what are
3: some of the what are some of the ways that, that not just the the, the school the, the academic part but also the life experience are there some ways that, that tends to either present itself or give you an opportunity to respond to kids
1: um, Well I feel like my education gives I I just have a different perspective when I look at a child. Because of my education, I know I'm more likely to give them, like, the benefit of the doubt or, um, I don't know. I just feel like I have a, I don't
2: know. You have a very positive
0: view first when you see a child.
1: Yes, Uh because I know as a child, as a 10-year-old child, I was in circumstances I couldn't help. Mm -hmm. And so I always try to look at that with my kids, like, what is this? Because I teach 10-year-olds. So I'm like, what is this 10-year-old kid going through at home? Yeah. Like, I don't know, but I right. could imagine. Sure. And I always assume that it's got to be some, like, I only know the half of it. Right. Because I know that my teachers only knew the half of it. Right. And so I always assume that I only know the half of it and give them the benefit of the doubt. It may be great, but it may not be.
3: So that's a balance in some of the buzzwords that obviously are psych training. So some of the buzzwords is there's empathy for the mm-hmm. child in their yes. situation. Yes. There's optimism that, yes. that just because they're in a difficult time, it doesn't mean they're an I can't. They're an I can right. I can people. And now then we have to draw that out. Right. That's the word we use as educe. We have to educate. We have to draw out the talent that's in there because over time, that's how they're going to become overcomers. Exactly. And, and they may not have you know the, the heaviness of the story you have, but they have enough that life's tough. And at 10, they're on the cusp of becoming very aware. It's a big, bad world. Right. And how powerless they really exactly. are. Exactly. They so. have
1: very little control, That's what I was thinking. They right. have very little control of their life. And so some things they might be doing in my classroom, it might not be really what it, what's going on. You know what I mean? Yes. Like the acting out or the saying ugly things yeah. or task avoidance or right. all those things. It might not be what it appears to be on the surface.
3: So, and, uh, and we're... Now that we're in this, I know we have other topics we want to touch on. So just for a moment, though, if we have teachers that are watching uh, or maybe, you know, youth folks, folks that work with youth ministry. But I think teachers will be really resonate with this. So you're in a classroom. You have a kid. he's have, He or she's having a disruptive day or a moment of the day. Um, is there a, can you break it down? And then I may be asking a it much, but to break it down to say, OK, here's here's my pattern of thought. I see it. I assess it, and I respond. Can you give us maybe just a, an example without calling out a child? Yeah. <laughs> as to how you, um, how you kind of handle that.
1: Well, I always think about that I don't want to get into a power struggle with them. I don't, because I've already lost if I get into a power struggle with them. So I don't want to give up. get into a power struggle, and then I want to try to understand the behavior, even if it's frustrating, even if it's, you know, it seems like it's just, people always assume that it's just defiance or it's just being difficult. But I try to always remember that my 10 year old self and Mm. how I had little control over my life. Mm. And my principal always tells us that kids that are loved come to school to learn,
2: Mm. but
1: kids that are not loved come to school to be loved. Wow. And,
2: that's that powerful. Sticks that with me. Is powerful. That sticks with
1: me. Like, yeah. I I think of that a lot when I see a kid misbehaving or it, it allows me to like restart myself. Like if I'm frustrated in the moment, right, I'm like restart. Yes. Remember that they're coming here to be loved.
0: Do you ever look at them and think of your ten year old self and think
3: there I was looking for love?
1: Mm. Yes, yes.
3: Like, definitely well in some of our studies in psych we've studied like the hierarchy of need and those mm-hmm. things and to children let's use those uh folks as an example they're not going to subject themselves to the challenge of learning uh whether it's paying attention raising their hand being vulnerable unless some of those basic needs are met exactly some of so them
1: are in survival mode yes and so If you can't get them out of that in your classroom, then that's all they're gonna get is survival mode. They're not gonna move past that and be able to get what I'm putting down.
3: (laughs) Exactly, oftentimes I've told teachers, I've been been privileged to do some trainings, to say, you know, uh, using your references as examples and say, please understand, it's less about your subject, it's more about developing these little humans to be these great adults one day. It is kind of your ministry. This is what you do, whether it's an empathetic ear or, you know, hey, explain to Ms. Martin, what what did you hear me say? You know, or, you know, well, well, when they said that, how did, you know, that kind of thing, getting them to engage.
1: And my principal also, when I started, he told me, he's like, I want you to focus on loving our kids Mm -hmm. and everything else will come.
2: Mm -hmm. And
1: if you love and take care of our kids, then everything else comes.
2: That's a
3: good, that's good leadership. I and know, I always really think is. about
1: that if I'm frustrated or having a you know difficult day or everyone's you know
2: yes.
1: it feels like everyone's acting out or it's just chaos in the classroom or whatever. I just think that even if I feel like I'm not doing anything that day, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. <laughs> that's positive or helping someone. I remember I am loving them, so right. I'm doing that. That's right. So something's happening in here.
3: Yes, absolutely. Uh, it it reminds me of one of uh, our phrases we use often at the end of each day, hey, what went well and what could go better. And so uh, we can look, and and it may have to be a series of deposits. You know, okay, I I may not see that evidence today, but I may see it by Friday.
1: Well, giving yourself grace, too, even if you weren't perfect that day. Tomorrow's a new day, and so let's just, that that day's gone, so let's just look at the new day and start over. And that's really saved me a lot. And as My your principal said, they come with, as a person, is, every day is a new day, every, and every step means something, no matter how small it is.
3: Well, as your principal implied, they're going to still come with the same wants. They want okay. to be loved or what they want to learn. Yeah. So that's that tomorrow's wants are still going to be there. So I get another chance. Yeah. I oh, love that. That's very optimistic. Well, I got to say, as your husband,
0: I'm extremely proud of you uh, for your endeavors as a teacher and what you've become and what you've poured into those kids. Now, back to the story of you, because we kind of jumped to the, right. to the present, a whole and we, we skipped <laughs> uh, an enormous segment. You were, you were back in 2004 or so, maybe 2003, where we jumped ahead to your, to your present-day uh, career. So, back backing into your story, uh, you, you had mentioned that you had now two kids, and that you realized that you were in a relationship with an addict. And all these things swirling around you, you you realize that you were the you were the fulcrum on which all this stuff rests, chaos coming and going from your life. In two thousand four, knowing your history, there was an event, an event that changed everything. Would you would you mind introducing our listeners to that event
1: and how it happened? On May twenty eighth, two thousand four, Taylor was diagnosed with cancer, stage four cancer. And that's probably the that process, I'm not saying that day, but what happened in the next seventeen months is probably what's defined my adult life Mm -hmm. and the changes I've made in my adult life and the struggles and overcoming the struggles and reinventing myself, which I never thought I would do. So that she was diagnosed with cancer and I was the most devastating
0: event and it also gave way to the biggest parts of growth that you ever experienced not the way you would have wanted it or designed it, did. it but it, it took a did. long time it did so if i know it's not an easy thing to talk about and as much as you're willing um, talk about how that moment happened how did you find out that um taylor had cancer
1: she had Um, changes in her appetite and she had started limping but she had cerebral palsy and she took uh, seizure medication so it was hard at first they were thinking her appetite changed because of the seizure medication they were thinking she was limping because she had spastic which means her muscles were tight so they were thinking like you know maybe her muscles were tight they tried Botox shots they tried physical therapy they tried all this stuff and um but no one ever felt her abdomen And so they just kept thinking it was something to do with the cerebral palsy. And so finally they decided to do an MRI on her leg just to shut me up, I think. (laughs) They really just wanted, okay, well, look at her leg. And so they were doing an MRI of her leg. And her father and her grandfather were there. And they were doing an MRI of her leg. And the technician came out and he heard them say that she had a huge tumor. And they had had caught the tumor, like the edge of it, when they were doing her leg. It was in her pelvis, and they caught the edge of it, and so then they moved it up. And, like, it quickly became this frenzy of people coming out of the room, like, we need the radiologist right now, we need the And then they called me and her grandmother and said, we need you to come up here immediately. And I knew something was wrong, and I was in Florida with her grandmother, and I was on the plane phone talking. That's how long ago it was. there was a wow. phone on the plane. Right. And um, and I just kept, my father in law just kept saying, you have to come back. And I'm like, you have to tell me what's wrong. I can tell something wrong, you have to tell me. And he finally told me they found a tumor in her abdomen. And I think me and her grandmother just sat in silence the rest of the flight. We got a taxi when we got to the airport. I don't think we said anything on the 30-minute drive
0: and just rushed in and it's chaos from there. And I know that's hard to talk about. I know it is. And I'm really proud of you yes. for being strong and courageous and talking about it. And that process from that from that moment until, until her death, how long of a struggle was that? How long was that time period?
1: It was 17 months.
0: 17 months 17 months of agony and chaos and yeah, it,
1: was, it was agony she had every bad side effect you could have from chemo she was sick i don't i think there were six months that she was barely saying a word and she was a happy go lucky like smile on her face just a bright shining light and she was six years old and she right? was six years old and she was so so sick and And she had, her expressive language was, because of the cerebral palsy, was not at her age, like, not age-appropriate. And so, it was hard for her to express herself, but she understood everything.
2: Mm.
1: And so, she's in this pain all the time, and it was hard for her to express to us what was going on or how she was feeling. So, she just stopped talking. She just sat, and she couldn't walk anymore. She lost her ability to walk. The medicine made her sick. She hated the hospital. She would cry. It was just a traumatic thing to watch after having such a happy child. To watch her go through the worst thing and you could not help her at all.
0: And I I personally know that Taylor was one of the greatest gifts that God ever gave to you. And she was also one of the greatest gifts God ever gave to me because she brought me you. And I know there's a lot of people out there that have experienced grief and they don't know where to put it and they don't know how to, how to deal with it and they don't know how to, how to compartmentalize their lives in order to keep living. And that, can you speak about that a little bit, about you got beyond that 17 months and lost Taylor and that was out of your control. But what was left, you had control over and it took time and it took energy and focus and a lot of work but you you regained control of your life. Can you talk about that a little bit?
1: Well, I got to learn a lot about compartmentalizing when she had cancer, and I didn't know it at the time. Looking back, I know. But I didn't, like, I never wanted to know statistics or any of those kind of things. I'm like, my child's not a statistic. I don't want to know. I can't hear that right now. All I need to know is how to get her better. And so that's all I focused on for 15 months is getting rid of cancer, we're getting this cancer out of her body, and we did, and she survived a surgery that she almost died, she lost like half of her blood, Um, she, her lungs filled with fluid, she got put in the ICU, she almost didn't make it, and, um, but all I could think about is how do we get her out of here, how do we get her better, and every time she got better, and then on um, September 1st of 2005, she relapsed. And I, all I could remember them telling me was that if it came back, she was going to die. And I'm like, my child's not going to die. I wasn't having it. She's not dying. But six weeks later, um, the cancer was just everywhere and we couldn't control it. And we just let her go. We didn't put her on life support or anything like that. We just let her go. The doctor told me she's not going to make it. I'm sorry. And this doctor fought for her. And I trusted her, and I knew when she said she's not going to make it, that she wasn't going to make it. I didn't accept it. I, mean, I was probably the only one in the room when she was dying, thinking, okay, she's going to she's gonna overcome this. It's not as bad as we think it is, because she always did. She was a survivor. And then we lost her, and I, I just went into a dark place for a really long time. Like, a dark place. I didn't think... I don't know. I, I didn't think I would survive it at all. But you did. I did.
0: And I mean, I've watched you grow as a, as a person, as a woman, as a mom uh, over the years. And you didn't give up on yourself. And I saw that as a beautiful thing.
1: I went a lot of years, I would say, a good 15 years being lost and like, so wrapped up in depression and anxiety and PTSD and being a victim. And I'm not saying that I was a victim. What happened to me was a, it was a traumatic thing. Like, not many people know what that's like to watch your first child that made you a mother basically suffer and wither away and die, and you can't help them. There's nothing you can do to help them. And so much of who I was as a mother was because of her. Like I had her and she was a special needs child and I grew up and I had all these things. And then when she died, like, what was I supposed to do? Like everything I was, was because of her. That's how I felt. And so it was very easy to just some days I couldn't get out of bed. Like I couldn't function. I didn't, I was just so caught up in the it's not fair right? just the victim thinking and it took me a lot of years to get out of that thinking um people were cruel they were mean they were judgmental i was hard on myself um i beat myself up at every turn i said i was a bad mother a bad wife a bad friend uh, a bad daughter i all of those things i was just and it was everything bad was my fault, and I just like spiraled into this just dark place. That's all I can explain it. Just dark place. I didn't want to be around people. I didn't want to get out of bed. I didn't want to talk to people. Nothing. I just wanted to be left alone.
3: I've noticed uh, through the years that any in anything we engage in, it's going to have. I call it an over under. And uh, the overt would be uh, likely a lot of the aspiring attitude that you have going into her CP, going into her diagnosis, going into her treatment, and the overt being the positive, like, I can do this, I can respond, let's learn, okay, let's read on this, let's let's keep growing and, and helping, and for six plus years, you know, it gave her a quality of life, you know, until... You know we had this invader in her body that that you know unfortunately was more powerful than what her body could handle right. but that's the under is if there's going to be a, a positive you know there's a negative if there is a an order there's a chaos you can't have one without the other right. and sometimes the under wins the day and, and and it and it does have that devastating effect and i know there's folks listening they're like i I am I am either there or similarly there. Right. We, my me and my spouse have a special need, and they are our identity. Right. This is every day is about them by and large, mm-hmm. and uh, you know. And I think being young and what have you. Now, likely, if you were to counsel, since you have those skills, if you were to counsel, say, a young family in their early twenties, and then this gets born into their life one way or another. Uh, is is there anything you might tell them so that if things don't go well, or if they find themselves kind of locked into a limit of growth, okay, now they've come to realize their child's only gonna be so much. Right. And what can they do maybe from a self-care perspective that you kind of had to, for 15 years, had to rediscover all of that. Right. Which implies to me it was there, it was just so small, but you, resuscitated it through the help of Robbie and others to bring it back to life. Uh, but is there some language you can tell them now to say, Hey, if you do find yourself there, pay attention to some of these things. Mm-hmm. Because I, and one of the things I often tell folks, cause I can't give, a, I can't give you what I don't have. Right, right, I can only give you what I do have. So are, is there some words you'd like to put on that, that encouragement?
1: Well, I, I say that my whole existence was her because when she died that's what I felt like like I felt like my whole existence was her and now she's gone what am I supposed to do Mm -hmm. but I also know that during that time before she got cancer that I did do self-care that I did like we would have like scrapbooking weekends and it was so important for me to be the mom I needed to be to her to do those things, to have those moments of where I just took the time away, just step back and like, you're not just a mom. You're not just a mom with a special needs child. You're not just, you know, a wife. You're not just those things, you're other things too. And that's where my schooling came in and my time with friends. Like I made very dear friends that also had special needs children. So it's almost like we had a support system of women that said, we're, we're going to go hard for these kids. We're not. Don't be confused. And we're for gonna, each other. Yes. So. We are going to do But we're also going to take the time to love ourselves and yes. just be us. Like, go drop our kids off at school and go meet at the bagel shop and just talk and, or go to, my friend had a ranch in Brenham, go to the ranch and just right. scrap up our hearts out and eat birthday cake for dinner and just all those things that didn't yeah. mean that we would just step back. Right. and, just take some time off from i mean it would just be a day or two but right. it was yes. enough to make recharge us and give us that passion and energy to right. come back and do what we did for our kids
0: you learned how to not be serious all the
3: time
1: yes, yes. but oh. when she died i think i lost that like
3: uh, i lost yeah it. and i don't know that that would be a misunderstanding for anybody that's been do something heavy like that you know who mm-hmm. i mean we uh, we don't go into those efforts to lose we go into win. Right. And unfortunately, sometimes nature is, is bigger than what we can, what, what, we can't turn it around. We can't right. make it stop. No. And
1: uh, it just happens. It
3: just happens. Sometimes myself, the game is rigged. Right. Sometimes the game is rigged. And we don't really even know the reasons, and we may not know them for 15 no, years.
1: I, I still don't know the reason, but I've right. learned that I won't understand the reason. And if I get caught up in trying to understand the reason, that I'm just in that dark place.
2: Back in the dark. Like I'm
1: just in the bitterness, the angry, like a loop. The anger, the darkness. That's where that keeps me. If right. I stay in the right. why did this happen? Because I'm not yes. gonna know why. Correct. I'm never gonna understand why. I've gone to preachers, pastors. Mm-hmm. I've tell me why, mm-hmm. and every time they don't have a why. That's right. They sometimes they come back with the, you know, a, they try. Yeah. But if I keep on, they're left right. with that. I right. don't know why. And so I feel like it was a turning point for me when I stopped looking for why. Okay. Because there was no intention.
3: That is a... That's that, profound. That is profound. That is powerful to basically uh, discipline yourself to say, okay, I will no longer ask that question. Because, because I it
2: doesn't fix
1: anything. Not, Correct. I mean, understanding why do you think it's going to make it okay that my child is dead? Right. No, it's not going to make it okay. So why are you looking for this answer? Why are you like, and I would do the what if thing. Like, what if I did this different? What if I did this? And I finally just said one day, the what ifs are melting my brain. Yes. I know that sounds so silly, but they were. I yes. mean, it was really like yes. paralyzing me to do what if or why, or why did she deserve this? She's such a perfect person. Mm-hmm person she was pure she was innocent Mm -hmm. why did she deserve this and being angry at god and Mm -hmm. angry at the situation and then i just realized one day that that wasn't helping me it wasn't it was just keeping me in this dark and bitter place and it was almost like i was comfortable there like i didn't have to answer to anything or anyone i could just go back into my dark place Hmm. and you don't understand me anyway so just leave me alone
3: and it became your own form of, of a defense mechanism. Yes.
1: And it wow. was very toxic to myself, very toxic. Mm-hmm. But I just, it was just my cocoon. It was like where I lived.
0: So you I, found empowerment through the disconnect of your place of comfort where you were comfortable in your doubts, in your disbelief, in your questioning. So you disconnected
3: from that and became empowered by that disconnection. I think so. So, uh, you use the question "What if," which is one of our mantras. That we use. <laughs> yeah, that's yeah, well, that that perfect. It is well, and it's. in I don't. And I'll say this as just being when we're friends and and as um, knowing a lot of these things. It it's like we didn't take the "what if" out of the language. We just stopped applying it there. Yeah, that's
0: said, definitely
1: true. Like I started like, well, what
2: if?
0: Well, there's a double-sided coin there. The yes. What if has two sides. Yeah, it's got the good side and the negative side. The
2: positive over under. And I do use what
1: if now, but I don't yeah. use it that way. Yes. I, I went through 15 years of. It wasn't just Taylor's death. There were just so many things that happened to me during that 15 years, and I just let it push me further and further down into the hole. Like I kind of got to the point where waiting for the other shoe to drop, and that's such a negative way to think.
2: Mm-hmm. but
1: it's it, it's like when it happens like oh i was right i was right yeah you know i i knew something bad was going to happen i yeah. just i can't get comfortable because i know something bad's going to happen and yeah. it was like this whole like just thinking myself into right. just negativity all the time
0: and we find this amazing thing to be true that you'll always find what you're looking for
2: yes you if will.
0: you're looking for the bad guess yeah. what get ready because it's coming it's coming
1: And I don't know exactly the moment when, that's not true. I do know. I I just woke up one day and I realized I can't control anyone. And see, I should know that from going to school, (laughs) that that's like what you learn. You you can't control anyone but yourself. Mm -hmm. And I, for so long, was trying to control everything around me. Mm -hmm. And it just made everything worse and made me go into the darker place and then, one day I just woke up and I was like, I can't control anyone but me. Like, I can't control anyone but me. Yeah. And yes, what happened to me is terrible. And yes, in ways that makes me a victim of life. Because that is a horrible thing to happen for your daughter to die of cancer. It's a horrible thing to happen. But then I started looking at, well, what if I did something different? Like, what... What if I did something different? And then I started thinking about Taylor. And people told me this for years. Is this how she would want you to live? Well, no, it's not. But are you helping me by saying that? No, they weren't. They weren't helping me by saying it because I wasn't ready to hear it. Mm. Like, I was not ready to hear, oh, well, would Taylor want you to be like this? Or, well, what about your other kids? Or, you know, what about just anything? Like, people would say the cruelest things. And I don't think they meant to be cruel. Mm. They just would say stuff trying to help, and it, um, and it would be cruel. And then there were other people that would just basically say cruel things, just you know, you're so depressing to be around, and you need to get over it, and you know, just mean things that put me that I let push me down. And so one day I was like, and I I'd, I'd been thinking about being a teacher for probably ten years. It's ridiculous the amount of time I wasted in this place that I was, but I, if I didn't go to that place, I wouldn't be who I was, who I am now. Right. And so one day I'm like, well, what if you just called the place that, cause you know, I have a degree in psychology, so I don't have a teaching degree. So I'm like, what if you just called the place or messaged, um emailed the place and asked them, what do I have to do to become a teacher with a bachelor's degree in Texas? And so that was my first step. I just emailed them. And I asked them, what do I have to do? And so then they sent me back what I had to do. And I'm like, okay, well, what if, what if I took it a step further and like went to the place for the interview, like they suggested? And so that's kind of how I did it. It started with, instead of thinking all the way forward with the what if, what if, what if, what if, what if I just start right here in this one spot? And that's my, you know, success for the day is I... Got up out of bed, I took a shower, I got dressed, and I emailed Region 5 yes. <laughs> to see what I needed That's to do. That's beautiful. You took yes. the
0: smallest activity that you could silly, find in the direction you wanted to go, right. and that was a part of your cure. Right. The like one the The one step. The one, the step, the yeah. one step. And
1: I let me yes. be proud of myself
2: for that yes. one thing. I didn't
1: care if anyone else was proud of me. I didn't even... And I probably went back to bed that day after I did it, and... Probably started beating myself up because I was going back to bed. But Mm -hmm. that one little thing started Mm -hmm. this momentum. Mm -hmm. And then I started to think, what would Taylor want me to do? Like, what what can I do to make her proud of me? And that's when my life changed. And I didn't get there by someone shaming me into it and being mean to me and judging me. I got there because one day I woke up and said, How can I change me? Because that's all I can change.
3: On the subject, if I may, of moving forward from great loss, uh, I do these grief classes. I've been doing it for a couple of decades. And very early on, I stopped asking, who did you lose? And I started asking, who are you here to
1: and that deep. is amazing because yeah. the, that language is powerful yes. because I I wasn't in that language for so yes. long. I, I did not think, who am I here to honor? And I thought who I lost because yes. it was such a great loss. Yes. loss. And that was my focus is that I lost her and it was a traumatic loss and it's not fair. And she was my, my daughter yes. and... And all
3: those are truths and you know I was
1: angry and, and it was fair to be angry but I just got so lost in it that yes. I wasn't able I paralyzed myself
0: and how easy is that to do I mean that's yeah. be soft on yourself because that's not an uncommon or you know right. unique
3: experience in that situation you that's normal very totally normal I like that you asked and you kind of alluded to it just a few moments ago you did ask the follow-up question. After we ask who, and we ask now, how am I going to honor them? Yes. And like you said, it took, took a while. The C to the answer to that question was actually already in there because the idea of being a teacher didn't come out of nowhere. It was already there. And it but just, I know that
1: I ended up losing my way as being a because th- I went to school to be a therapist, mm-hmm. and I ended up losing my way in that dark place because I'm like, what kind of therapist can I be? Mm-hmm. Am, am I going to be able to be empathetic? Am I going to be able um, I, I'm just, I can't even get out of bed. How am I going to help anyone?
0: The real question so is, I would you have ever found joy being a therapist? I
1: don't know. I, I, not at that time, probably not. I have, but I
3: have a better question. Are you a therapist now? Kind of.
1: Like at yeah. two years old. Yeah, so I am. you praying and to God and God kind, delivered you? Yeah, That's it's right. a different kind. And when I was doing my internship, I did my internship with just children. Like, I only worked with children. That's amazing. And that's when I kind of found my way that, okay, and they were a lot. Most of them were in that age group of fifth grade. Like, you know, they were older and they were younger, but I figured out that I loved working with 10, 10, year olds And I don't know why. It's like right before this crucial stage.
0: Strange
2: coincidence, right? Yeah. (laughs) But
1: I love working with them. And then that's how I thought of the teaching came to me and but I still just sat on it for years and didn't do anything because I thought I would fail. Yeah. And so I just was in my dark little place. Just, yeah, I'm not going to do that. I don't want anyone to depend on me yeah. to be there every day. Right. So I'm just going to live in my little yeah. shell. And
3: yeah. earlier I mentioned <laughs> that change of seasons and the storm. And I, I, I've, we've, we live in a region of the country where we get just terrific storms through here uh when we're going from uh winter to spring to summer so the the bad weather was pushing out it it was slow you know (laughs) And you give yourself grace and credit for that it took a while but it was happening and i look at you
2: yeah well
1: i just I, i feel like i when i took those first steps to get my certification for teaching that's kind of when my life turned around and even when I was in the program, I struggled. Like I, like I, w- I missed class, and then it'd be like, okay, you've missed all the classes you can miss. If you miss another class, you're gonna have to retake the program. Mm-hmm. And so I had my struggles. Like I was like, I, I'm not, I can't do this. I'm not gonna be able to. I mean, I was so hard on myself. I was the, no one could beat me up more than I beat myself up. But then I started having like successes. Like I started. Uh, getting through parts of the program and I'd be like, okay, that's your last class for that. And I'm like, oh, wow. And then it was time to take practice tests and I would get all worked up. I don't want to take practice tests. And then I took practice tests and i are like, okay, now I can go take the real test. And so I took the real test and I started passing those and then I got a job offer and because a teacher resigned and I got a job offer after I took my tests, but before I had applied for my license. And so it just kind of all started falling into place. And so then I started to feel like, almost like I was confirmation of what I was supposed to be doing because everything started falling into place Mm -hmm. and then I got a job as a teacher and that's when my life was changed like it completely changed my life and who I was the way I thought I finally was able to think about honoring Taylor instead of just losing her how am I honoring her I'm coming here every day and you know teaching 62 kids Mm -hmm. and honoring her every day that's all Every time I get sad about her now, I just think about the ways that I can honor her.
3: And no doubts that even in her short, what, less than eight years, the character that she brought into your
2: life is coming
3: out. Yes.
1: Yes. It is. And I finally found a place where I can let it and not be sad or feel guilty. I always felt guilty and I didn't even know why. I understand now why. But I can do it in a way where I don't feel sad or feel guilty. I mean... Don't get me wrong, I feel sad still on well, days because I miss her and I, I, I'll I, never be okay with her dying. Never. It's never going to be okay with me. But all I can do, I can't bring her back. And right. so all I can do now is honor her and make her proud of me. And just changing that mindset of being a victim to a survivor, right. just, it changed my life.
3: In addition to the honor statement that I used for the very first class, somewhere after they kind of warm it up to me a little bit i'll say okay now i'm going to drop this on you and just to let it kind of soak in they're like okay I said, yeah and i just do it like a blunt i said you're never going to stop grieving and you can see like I said, but here's the reason because your measure of grief and your measure of love are yes. equal. so yes. thus you don't want to stop grieving because you'll and never stop loving
1: telling people that is so valuable because mm-hmm. i don't think enough people told me that or i didn't hear it yeah and no one ever told me that it was normal to feel the way that I felt or they, I didn't hear it. I won't say that no one told me because you sitting here, you know that you probably told me that, sure. but I didn't hear it. Yeah. And so I was so hard on myself. And now I hear when someone says like my friends at school have been one of my biggest blessings because they all love me. And they tell me this is grieving is normal uh-huh. and we're proud of you. Uh-huh. And, it's just been such a different experience having like, it's um, God had to replace me at that school with those people right. because those people have changed my mindset in that it's okay to feel the way I do, but it's also okay to be happy. Mm-hmm. And, Absolutely, And mm-hmm. that's how I found my, like just how to honor her. Mm-hmm. And one day I'm just at school and I realized I'm, I'm here honoring her. Like, it just hit me. I wasn't thinking that when I went to be a teacher. Right. It's just, it came to me yes. through the help of my different way of thinking and my friends telling me, look at what you're doing right. in her memory. That's
3: twice you've referenced the value of community. First was your group of friends with special needs. Mm-hmm. And the neat thing about, and then now your teachers, the neat thing about having, I'll, I'll use the, the special needs uh, you know mother friends as a group. We can get together and we can talk about anything and everything other than our children. And because we all kind of know it's there, but right. then that, but there's like a confidence. Like, you get me. You right. understand me. You know what I'm thinking behind these eyes. Right. Now let's go eat cake right. for supper <laughs> because, exactly. and talk about silly books and stories. Because uh, no one is here ignoring our truth. We're able to embrace our truth a little better
2: right.
3: uh, and still have a little bit of real life. It sounds like you found
1: that again in
2: your teacher. Yes, I have,
1: because I can have a, like on the anniversary of her death, I can have a day where I'm just like not feeling it. And, you know, I'm a little teary and I can go cry to them. And then, you know, 10 minutes later we're laughing and talking and, and they're okay with it. They think it's normal. And they tell me how amazing I am and that I've, you know, done great things in her honor. And it's just a totally different language that I, I, and maybe it was there before, I just didn't hear it, but I just heard the negative. It, but just, now I don't hear the negative. Yes, if they even just, start yeah. in, I'm like, mm, mm-hmm.
3: no, you don't know what you're saying. <laughs> but you're telling people today on this show that if you're hearing those things, it's not true. No, that's not the way it's
1: You, well, you know, need to distance
2: yourself from right. that. Find a new and community. even
1: if you're the only one cheering yourself on, take that first step. Yeah. Do that email like I did or whatever it is, you know get up, take a shower, get dressed and
0: take action, you
1: yes. know, take out the garbage. It's yes. just tiniest little thing and be like, I took out the garbage today. You know, I mean, <laughs> and it and sounds it, silly. No. but it, it starts a momentum. And before you know it, you're three da- years down the road and right. you're like, wow. like three years ago where I was and then where yeah. I am now, it's like, I don't even know her anymore. Right. Like you, like people that I haven't seen in years, like mm-hmm. talk about something. I'm like, I don't know her anymore. I don't know who she is. Wow.
3: And that always le- leaves me with. And then imagine where we'll be three years from now. Exactly. Oh, uh, you mentioned something just just a moment ago about measuring these accomplishments. That too is one of the. Every night at the end of our, my class, I say, "Now, for the in the next week, find two or more things that you can take all the way to completion, and account for that. Give yourself an out of boy. Give yourself an out of girl. And they're looking. I said, fold clothes, wash dishes. It all counts. Yeah, it's a little bitty drop, but it counts.
1: Also, allows you to get out of that thinking because that was a hard thing for me is to get away from my thinking and when i'm at school i don't have time for that if i'm gonna love my kids i don't have time to go there and that was a it, a blessing for me yes now i don't have to think that way i don't have to it, it just is automatic now but when i first started working at school like i'm like how, how did i not do this 10 years ago like it, it was like what I needed. Mm-hmm. I just didn't didn't look
2: for it. Right. right. I just and got I stuck
1: in the negativity and let life beat me down and and just I was just a victim and and I didn't see that I could be have an influence like I have now.
3: The words that we often use and Rob used it earlier is owner creators.
1: Yes. You know,
3: I became an owner of me and then I started creating something which is that first email. Yeah. And that's what it, that's an example of creation. And we think it's creating orbit planets in the universe. No, I can create myself, you know, uh, to become something.
2: Exactly. And I, and I and that know there folks listen
1: to and that. And that new way of thinking created this person that like if I do have a bad day and I do go to bed and I do feel bad, I also know that tomorrow's a new day. And mm. I you know give myself that leeway. Okay, it was just a bad day. We're gonna get up tomorrow. We're gonna start over, and that changed life for me because starting a new day over again, like not like in my head. Okay, yesterday's gone. Today's a new day, yes. and I never did that before. I never I've carried it all around, mm-hmm. and it was so heavy, and I don't do that anymore. Like even if I have a bad day, tomorrow's a new day, and I'm getting up at you know five thirty, and I'm going to work. And it's almost like, I don't want to miss work now. I don't want to miss life now. I don't want to, yeah, sometimes I need that calm, peace, and quiet, but it's no longer like where I live.
3: We can call that weekends and summers because you're
1: a <laughs> <Yes>. <laughs> Well,
0: I want to say that you you have far surpassed what I hoped for today in bringing you on the show. And I can say with the utmost sincerity that you have been my favorite guest and you will always be my favorite guest. And I, I've got just a couple of things. I, I've got one comment and then I've got two questions. Okay. And, and we're going to wrap this up for the sake of time. But you've done amazing. I want you to hear that. And then I want to I suggest, is it possible that you see these 62 kids a day, right? And this is your third year. Unless my math is wrong. Third year. So 62 kids a day in your third year. And you don't have any end in sight. You're not shooting to shut it down or retire anytime soon. So these 62 kids a day, you have spread a part of Taylor into them. And she reflects to you from them. And that's beautiful.
1: That's huge to me. I mean, just here. And I remember the first person that said it to me, but it was someone at school. They said it to me and it change the way I think and they probably have no idea what what they did for me but right it's just and maybe people tried to do that before like I said I just didn't hear it but I was finally in a place where I could hear it
0: okay well I'm proud you. yes so the two questions number one what advice would you have for someone now this is a big one because you've covered so many different angles and facets of the human existence especially for a woman the, all the things you've been through, uh, but what advice would you have for someone who is in the stages of grief who has lost a child? What advice would you have for them?
1: Oh, there's so much, but I—I I guess for me, I would say be careful getting consumed. It's okay to grieve. It's normal to grieve. You're going to be angry. But for me, turning it around, like you said, to the honoring of them has been a really big thing. And I don't, don't get caught in it for 15 years like I did. Don't, it's not, I mean, love your child, grieve for your child, but find ways to honor them. Even if it's small ways, because eventually it's going to, you know, keep the momentum. You're going to keep looking for ways. And before you know it, I feel like I went from the negativity and the loss to how do I honor? How do I honor? Because that's all I can do. I can't I can't bring it back. And so, yes, it's unfair. Yes, it, there's no excuse for it. You're never going to find why. You're never going to make sense of it. You're never... Maybe some people do, but I think that you never will. You'll never be okay with your child dying. You'll never understand it, but you have to turn your thinking around. You have to, and no one else can help you. No one can help you. You have to help yourself and you have to wanna help yourself and you can't let what anyone else says or think about you influence you. You have to say, I can change me. Here's what I can do. You have to take responsibility. No one is going to save you. No one. Right. You're, you have to save yourself. And you don't have to stop, you know, missing your kid. You don't have to be okay with it. You don't have to stop crying or any of those kind of things. But you just have to change the way you think and think, I put all that energy into her. And is it really okay to just sit here and die? Because that's basically what I was doing. I mean, I was just sitting there. Worse was, than that, you were
0: living in death.
1: Yeah. And I, I mean, my body, I wasn't healthy. My, you know, I, I wasn't, my thyroid, my adrenal glands, nothing was functioning properly. I was just dying. And is that really a way to live? I mean, do you really want her? I mean, what if she can see you? Do you really want her to see that? Do you really want, I mean, to think all that that we did to invest in her and then you just die when she dies? In, in a way, She died. You know, like her memory dies. If you're like that, you're not spreading anything about her.
0: So, Mm. would it be fair to say, don't get stuck in it?
1: Move through
0: it. Stay moving.
1: I want to be careful because Uh, I don't want to sound judgmental. Like, stop it. Because it's not not easy. When people tell you, stop it, you just feel... You beat yourself up more because you're like, I feel like I can't stop it. So, I don't want to say... You know, in a mean way, I don't want to say stop getting stuck in it. I want to say there is a way out of it. There is a way out of it. Yes, Yes, you're gonna hurt. Yes, you're always gonna want them. But there is a way out.
0: Yes. So keep hope. Give
1: up. Keep hope for yourself. Don't. But if you're stuck in it, that doesn't mean there's something wrong with you. Right. It just means that you have to find. It in yourself. No She's one's going to find it for you, yes. but it's in there. It's got to be in there. If I found it after 15 years, it's got to be in there. I,
3: I, that was beautiful. and I don't want to take from that, but um, there's been times doing this class. Sometimes I've had sponsors lately. I don't. We just do it because it, it's our own little ministry. And somebody asked me one time, they said, well, if, they asked me a reason. Well, what's the reason you keep going? And the only one I could think of, and I think you'll relate to it, is I thought of my grandmother's. Both of them were gold star moms, and if you don't know what a gold star moms is, they sent their sons off the war, and they didn't come back. Their oldest sons, and somehow they got through.
2: Mm-hmm. And
3: and I and now I interview my mom, who looks at her mom and others, and they will speak to years, like there were years that I know that they were. It was like they were in a fog. They could see, but they couldn't see far. But they kept moving because they know somewhere on the other end of that is going to, and then eventually. I'm sure it's great now your grandmother, grandchildren come around and I'm sure we were a breath of life. But they always kept finding an evidence of life. So and you time, have to do that. You can't yes, stop
1: looking because yes. you're going to get
3: stuck if you stop looking. So I, I tell these folks, I said, so if you want to look back at your grandmothers, how did they do that? I don't know, but they did. But if you stopped and thought, you know how they did it. And that's what your evidence of. you can. We can look back a and go, well, those awesome women got through it. Uh, of course I can too so.
2: Right. Mm.
0: so I said there was two questions there were but another one popped up and I'm gonna ask you these and, and we're gonna we're gonna have to wrap it up but are you a success
2: Absolutely.
0: I love it that is amazing that is amazing thank you that I believe that but I also agree with the answer you gave you are a success in my book now this is a question that I ask every guest on this show, regardless of their background their, their where they are now and where they think they're going. I get, they get this question. So if you could go back in time and you could talk to yourself before you started college or right at the beginning, and you could only just give yourself a message that you would hear. All you could do is give yourself a message. You can't do anything else but that message will be heard. What would that message be?
1: I already know. What? You can only control yourself. I spent so many years of my life trying to control this, my situation that I was in, whether it be with addicts, whether it be cerebral palsy, cancer, uh, infidelity, all of these things that I've been through in my life, i learned, the turning point for me was learning that you can only control yourself. If they're gonna go off and act crazy, then they gotta go off and act crazy by themselves. <laughs> nice. You've got you've got to invest in yourself because you're the only one that's gonna do it. And if you try to keep in yourself in the chaos and the craziness, you're just gonna keep yourself down.
0: So you keep being your best you and let the world do what they're gonna All
1: do. All you can do is control yourself.
0: That's beautiful. That's it. That's great advice. Joe, is there
3: anything you got in closing? No, I'm just so proud of you. I've known mm-hmm. you for years. Mm-hmm. And, uh, and yeah, there were... You've
1: been on this journey uh, for me been, for the 17 years yeah, that I've been on it. <laughs> yeah,
3: and, you yeah, know, there was always moments of hope. And I think, you know, me as your friend and Robbie, we knew it was coming. But you embraced it. You took control of what you can control. Mm-hmm. And uh, look at me. I'm so proud of you.
2: Thank
3: you. Thank you.
0: Well, everybody, I, I'm Robbie. I'm Chuck, and this is Denise, and she will always be my favorite guest on this show. And we appreciate all of you making us a part of the pursuit of your purpose.